Hollywood actors are officially headed to the picket line. They've been unable to reach a deal with producers, members of the Screen Actors Guild of America, American Federation of Television Radio Artists as well, would join up with more than 11,000 already striking film and television writers starting at midnight. It is a significant event uh, in Hollywood, first time in nearly six decades uh, that uh, the actors have walked out. Uh, it's also happening at a time when the industry is going through significant technical challenges and, of course, structural challenges as well. When news of the strike broke, uh, Disney CEO Bob Iger spoke uh, on the issue to CNBC. Take a listen. There's a level of expectation that they have that is just not realistic. And they are adding to a set of challenges that this business is already facing. There's huge collateral damage in the industry to people who are, you know, who are support services. I could go on and on. It is going to be incredibly significant. Roger P. Henson, who is an actress, uh, spoke on the Screen Actors Guild strike as well. Take a listen. Greed is going to be the end of humanity. That's what's going to kill us all, you know. And... The things that the actors are asking for is common sense. You can't use my likeness and get paid and I don't see anything. That is just highway robbery. Mm -hmm. And for any studio to think that that's fair, it's beyond. Like, I don't even understand. Are you human? Do you care about the livelihood of, of artists? That is actress Traji P. Henson. Of course, they're talking about uh, automation, um, but there are many other challenges uh, bef- uh, before actors and writers as well as the industry uh, and the entertainment industry go through significant structural challenges. So joining me now to talk a little bit about the issue is Rick Forchuk, TV Week magazine columnist and, of course, a CKNW contributor. Rick, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Jazz. Always a pleasure. Well, we've been hearing lots about the writer's strike and, and what, it'll, what impact it's going to have on Hollywood. Now you have the Screen, Screen Actors Guild uh, which represents 160,000 television movie actors. Uh, uh, what do you see happening moving forward here with writers and uh, potentially uh, actors uh, you know, uh, out on strike? Yeah, I don't see anything very good for the industry, and I don't see anything very good for the viewer. Um, this is a real challenge. You know, as, uh, with SAG-AFTRA, act, the Screen Actors Guild, uh, going out as well and supporting the writers' issues, um, not only will we have no new content uh, because the writers haven't been writing it, but we won't have anybody to perform even if there was new content. And um, I, you know, I listened to a clip with Matt Damon earlier today saying, look, it's our job to be supportive and to work within the confines of a contract. And if we don't have a contract that works, whether it's us or whether it's the writers, then we shouldn't be going ahead. It's usury, and it's not right, and it's not fair. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a pretty good comment on his part. And I see this, I'm not much of a prognosticator, but I see this lasting a long time, Jazz. I think it's going to be a long, hot summer <laughs> with a lot of... With a lot, a lot of uh, new television not happening. Yeah, and you know, uh, it's interesting because I think it's one of those inflection points for the entertainment industry uh, when you look at dollars. Yes, there's always disputes between workers and management over pay, but with the entertainment industry, they had they had something called residuals, which are kind of like royalties. If you worked on a show and it became a hit, well, it could air 20 years later. You're still going to be paid royalties or residuals every time it airs as a repeat on on variety of networks. A lot of that is going away because someone like Netflix comes along, just buys the series, gives you your profit up front, 
but there's no residuals coming uh, for actors over the long term. And in many ways, those long-term residuals help actors and even production companies uh, you know, build on new content for the present and future while their bills are being paid by those residuals. And now with those going away, one would argue that's a huge, huge systemic change in the industry and not one that's working in favor of actors or writers. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And in fact, uh, what you're saying, Jazz, is that the business model uh, in that world is changing and has changed, and it may become unsustainable. Uh, in the simpler world, uh, pre-streaming, uh, and even post-streaming for a time, a television series, and let's just pick, uh, let's just pick one at random, uh, let, let's say uh, Cheers, a show like Cheers, uh, they would strive to get 100 episodes in the can. Once they had 100 episodes, the producers now had the rights to those series revert to them, and they could then shop it around, and these shows could run in strips you know, at 4.30, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the afternoon on a myriad of stations, and they would all get paid. Everybody would get paid, and that's where the money was. In fact, most television series operate at a loss initially, uh, and the hope is that they'll get to that 100-episode milestone and be able to syndicate and make money for everybody. Well, as you pointed out, that's really gone. Uh, the Netflix organizations of the world come in, they swoop up with these series, they buy all the rights, and they provide a payout to the writers, to the directors, the producers, and the actors, but then they have carte blanche uh, worldwide as to how to shop these things around, worldwide. So it's no longer just uh, watching something at 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the evening, like Seinfeld reruns, this is now a worldwide phenomenon, and it becomes a huge business. And the people who created all of this stuff no longer get paid. Now, one could say, look, uh, an artist creates a portrait, they get paid for the portrait, and they don't get paid every time somebody looks at it in a museum. They got paid once. It's a one-and-done thing. Well, so it should be like that with a television business. It's not, because everybody has to make a living. And it's a long-reaching thing. It takes years to get into a profitable situation. In the meantime, people have to work. So um, actors, for example, get other gigs. Uh, sometimes they can't wait for the new gig or a re repeat of the gig, a renewal of the gig that they had. And um, that's why we see such changes in cast. And we see shows that we like just disappearing, Jazz. They just go away. Yeah, and it's the other thing I think we sometimes forget is that when you look at television in the 90s and even the early aughts, you would have a full season of 20, 24 episodes. Uh, you know, the last two series uh, I've been watching has been have been uh, Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime and Hijack on Apple, Apple TV, and they're now still playing and they're releasing a couple of episodes every week or so. But those series generally run eight episodes, maybe six and maybe, maybe ten, but that's it. So the seasons are that's also it. compressed now, aren't they? They're compressed, and the time during which these things are popular is also compressed. So we hear a lot about Jack Ryan, because it's still running right now, and Hijack, which I'm really enjoying, and has two episodes left to go. I'd much rather see them streaming all at once rather than have to wait week after week. Mm -hmm. uh, however, um, the time period during which we talk about those is compressed. So we may talk about Hijack for two or three or four weeks. We may talk about Jack Ryan for two or three or four weeks. Word of mouth gets around. But when the show's finished, we stop talking about it, mm -hmm. and it all goes away. Yeah. And those actors, those writers, those performers, those uh, people that worked on this thing now have to find another gig, 
and it can take a year or two before that thing shows up on television. And now, going back to our opening situation, with the Screen Actors Guild going out along with the writers, there will be no new content. And even if there were, there'll be nobody to perform in it. Mm -hmm. So here's what you can watch for. You can wait to see a lot more content on such outfits as Netflix and Amazon Prime that come from places like Sweden and Israel and other countries in the world. They'll be subtitled, they'll be dubbed, and there's some really good programming out there. There's no question about it from other countries. Uh, And the next move will be, uh, is there going to be some kind of job action to prevent that from happening? Mm-hmm. We shall see, Jazz. The other thing I find interesting is um, if you look at the port strike, which um, as we speak today, there's a tentative agreement. But one of the issues that uh, they were focusing on was automation. Many ports around the world don't hire a lot of people because you can literally, with machines, uh, take cargo off a vessel and put it on a vessel as well. So there's less need for longshoremen. And so the port industry is dealing with automation, but so is Hollywood in a different way in the sense that with artificial intelligence, one could argue you could actually replace actors with uh, with the new technology. Now, it's not just animation, but it's, uh, it's I guess, technology that can maybe even look like a, you know, you create a character that would look like a Tom Cruise or or a leading man number one, and I guess the number two, the other one, which I find fascinating, is the ability for AI to write a sitcom. Now, we're not at that stage where it's doing that yet, but you can imagine technology in two years and five years uh, being able to produce at least something decent. Uh, and I know the industry itself, the management side, the, the Disney's and Netflix don't want to touch that right now because I don't think they know where the technology is going. But that has to be a clear existential challenge for writers and in this case for actors as well. Yeah, and it's the way of the world. You're absolutely right. It is the way of the world. Um, For example, at one time, 120 years ago, in this country and in the United States and much of Europe, one of the leading, leading industries was the buggy whip manufacturing business (laughs) because everybody had a buggy pulled by a horse and you had to have a whip. And uh, that just seemed like the best kind of business to be in because who's ever going to be able to get a horse to move without a whip? Uh, We know that there are no buggy whip manufacturers anymore today. And things have moved on. And we will look back, I think, Jazz, at today's world from a place maybe not too far down the road, as you say, maybe 10 years down the road, and look back and say, remember when people wrote all the situation comedies? Now, they're all written using uh, what the producers call a Bible, which uh, talks about uh, how all of the characters in this thing are supposed to act, and the artificial intelligence puts together in a few minutes uh, an entire series, and I think that will be happening for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, will it move everybody out? I don't know, but I do think we cannot ignore the fact that uh, technology changes, time marches on, and the world moves on as well, Jazz. Yeah, I wish these uh, actors and writers all the best, but boy, it's tough when you're up against the Disney's and the Netflix's and, and many of these other companies who I think view this as one of those inflection points in technology and in the industry, and it's going to be a tough one uh, for those who create that uh, content uh, that we all love watching, that's for sure. So it's going to be very interesting to watch uh, how things uh, transpire over the next uh, weeks and hopefully not months, but uh, I think I think you're right. I think this is going to be a long one, that's for sure. Rick, thank you so much. Yeah, and for you your, mentioned, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I'll just say quickly, you mentioned Disney. Uh, the days are gone when Walt Disney could say, because he ran the company, I like this mouse. Everybody else doesn't like him, but I like this mouse named Mickey. I'm going to go with him. Uh, Today's world, it's all a business. 
And if the committee doesn't like the mouse, there is no mouse. So, (laughs) yep, to your point, uh, it's going to change. It's the bane of our existence. Focus groups will do that to you somehow. In the old days, you could pick a movie star based on talent, and and maybe one person, as you say, can say, we like that mouse, we're going to go with it. I'm not sure in a focus group world that would be the the, the case today, that's for sure. Rick, thank you. It's true. It is absolutely true. Rick, thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, Jazz. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.